Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. You'll see on your screen this morning that it says, I second that emotion. I'll reference that song here in a minute. You probably know what I'm talking about there. But the real message title this morning for this message is going to be Mixed Emotions. Smokey Robinson wrote a song, and it is called I Second That Emotion. And here's one of the lines from that song. If you feel like loving me, if you've got the notion." I second that emotion. I love that song. That's one of my favorite songs. That's not the kind of emotion I'm talking about necessarily today, being lovey-dovey with somebody. You know that psychologists have figured out, that they originally thought probably about 70 years ago that there were basically six basic emotions that humans have. Somewhere... Uh, Not long ago, relatively speaking, I think it was in the 70s or 80s, they decided that actually there were eight very basic emotions that we all share. And I'm going to share with you what they are right here. The first one is pretty simple. It's happiness. And I'll give you, I'll give them to you with their, not necessarily opposites, but kind of their opposites. Happiness, the other emotion, of course, is sadness. How about trust? Can you trust? The opposite of that, you want to say distrust, but that's actually not it. They say that it's disgust, trust, or disgust. Surprise, that's an emotion. There's another one, anticipation. You may be surprised at something, or you may be anxiously waiting for something. And finally, there's anger. And the sister or brother to anger is actually fear. But here's the neat thing they figured out. You can mix these emotions. You can take two of them and come up with something else. You can mix anticipation with happiness, and you will get excitement. Think about that for a minute. I can remember when I was a kid. My father worked 16 hours a day. He had two jobs. He actually probably worked like 18 to 20 hours a day. My earliest memories of my dad, and most of them up until the time that he took disability for being sick, are of him lying in a bed, sleeping, because that's how I saw my dad. And I can remember when he got sick, he decided that we were going to do some things together finally, because we never did anything together. And he told us the first year that uh, this happened, we were going to go to, are you ready? It wasn't Florida. It wasn't Mexico. It wasn't... Smoky Mountains, we're going to go to Cedar Point. And as a little kid, like six or seven years of age, I couldn't wait for that. I anticipated that. I was excited. I told all my friends. I mixed together happiness and anticipation. But here's the thing about emotions. Aside from the fact you can mix them, my emotion of anger will be different than yours. My emotion of trust will be different than yours. We can get sweaty palms. As I'm talking to you right now, something's going on because I'm sweating right here and I'm sweating right here and it happens every week when I stand up in front of you. It just is going to happen and it's an emotional thing that kicks in for me. Some people get that with other emotions. I can be happy and give you a poker face. Some people just can't do that. I can be sad and give you a poker face. Some people just can't do that. So so it affects us. We may have our heart race with a certain emotion, 
we may become very focused mentally, but none of us deal with our emotions the same way. For football fans, you know that yesterday I got a little post across my phone that said Dwayne Haskins had died. If you're a, a, a fan of uh, Ohio State football or of Pittsburgh Steelers football, you know who he is. And he was killed walking across an interstate in Florida by a dump truck. Just before I came down this morning, I was looking something up on my phone about this, and I found out he was actually at the place where my brother works when this all ha went down. But in any event... Um, he's dead. And when that hit my phone, it didn't make sense. I was sad all at once, and at the same time, I was surprised. And it gave me a sense of what many people would identify as grief. This morning, I put out a little thing on Facebook, and I asked this question, would you tell me um, a little bit of what happens for you when you mix up sadness, with anger. There's a reason I asked for those two emotions. Here's the answers I got. Grief. Frustrated. Frustrated. Bewildered. One of our relative technicians back here behind the curtain told me they were sangry. Sad and angry. Grief. Grief. Hurt. Hopeless. Forlorn. And desperation. As Jesus goes into Jerusalem, I want you to see that there's a lot of emotions going on. This crowd that gathered and waved these branches around and sang Hosanna in the highest and glory to God, this crowd, they think he's going down there to overthrow the Romans. They are trusting in him. Many had come to believe in him. And they're anticipating something good is going to come out of Jesus going down here into Jerusalem. On the other hand, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they're fearful of Jesus. And they're anticipating something completely different. They wanted him to make a misstep. They wanted him to trip himself up so that they could capitalize that on that and take him and do what they wanted to do with him. I think when they mixed up their anticipation with fear, what they got was angry. What they got was hatred, actually. Jesus enters Jerusalem, and I want you to think about this for a minute. How is he? Because if you read the text, it seems to me that he's not happy, but it also seems to me that he's not sad. It doesn't seem to me that he's really anticipating much, and it also doesn't seem to me that he's surprised at what's going on. He doesn't appear to be angry, and he actually doesn't appear to be fearful. So what went on in this week after he arrives in Jerusalem? On Sunday, we have Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. The crowds gather and joyously shout, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now what you may have missed, because I didn't read it to you, I will in a little bit, is that as he is on his way, he comes between Bethphage and Bethany, he finds himself at the Mount of Olives. And at the Mount of Olives, he is actually going to stop and pray, and he is going to appear to be sad, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. On Monday, he cleanses the temple. And many of you would say, well, he was angry on that day. 
On Tuesday, he argues or has a discussion, if you would, with Jewish leaders. On Wednesday, it appears he rested. On Thursday, preparations were made for the Passover. On Friday, a trial occurs along with a crucifixion. On Saturday, Jesus is dead in the tomb. And on Sunday, on Sunday, he raises from the dead. Now, you may get confused in the days, but remember this. The Jewish day went from sundown to sundown, so our Thursday is their Friday. And on this day, Palm Sunday, what we're here for, let's look at this scripture. When he had said these things, he went on ahead and went up to Jerusalem. What had Jesus said? Well, I'll tell you what, when Luke writes those words after he had said this, he's referring to the first chapters that come ahead of this passage that we've read today, the, the, about the first verse to the 27th verse. And what transpires in there is the story of Zacchaeus. You remember Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Remember that story? Zacchaeus. He had been collecting taxes for the Romans but he is converted to faith in Jesus. This Zacchaeus, he lived in Jericho. The other thing that Jesus tells in this passage from Luke chapter 19, verses 11 to 27, is a parable. To understand the passage, you've got to understand what it means where the scripture says he was going up to Jerusalem. After meeting Zacchaeus in Jericho, Zacchaeus is changed. He has remorse. He had cheated poor people. And he's going to pay back four times the amount that he's cheated. On the way back to Jericho, if you were to go over to the book of Mark for a minute, you'd find something amazing there. There's a blind man named Bartimaeus. And on the way up to Jericho, Jesus heals blind Bartimaeus, and he too comes to faith in Christ. You were to look a little closer in that passage, you'd find that as they climbed up the road from Jericho towards Jerusalem, as I said earlier, they would have come between Bethphage and Bethany. If you don't remember Bethany, remember last Sunday we talked about Mary and Martha and Lazarus. That was their town. In between those towns and a little bit closer to the city is the Mount of Olives. The whole time they have been traveling from a level of Jericho below sea level, uh, 700 feet below sea level, climbing up 3,800 feet higher to get to Jerusalem. And somewhere on that path, probably around 3,000 feet, they're on the Mount of Olives, and they can look up and they can see the city of Jerusalem. And you've got to stop and wonder, why were they always going up to Jerusalem? They were always going up there. Did you ever notice that in the Bible? It's a place where God chooses to put his name. It's a place where God stored his presence. It's a place where the sacrifices would take place. There'd be a great deal of joy. Remember emotions? Anticipation. There'd be a whole lot of purpose because this particular celebration they were going up the hill to Jerusalem for was Passover. You say, well, Joel, what difference does that make? Passover, it celebrated their freedom that God had set them free from Egyptian rule. So from down here at 800 feet below sea level to all the way up there to 3,000 feet above sea level, Jesus and this crowd is walking, and they get to the Mount of Olives on their way up to Jerusalem. But there's something different going on here from every other, every other time. 
when he drew near at the place that is called Olivet, he stops. And he sends two of his disciples. They're going to go into Bethphage, and they're going to get that donkey or that colt. You'll read in a minute that he's going to get a colt where no one's ever ridden. So he sends them. They go into the village. They get the colt. It's brand new. It's unridden. Just so you know what that means, it likely would have been hard to ride. It would not have been friendly. It would not have wanted to have someone get on its back. You think that he's lowly and he's riding on this donkey. Can I tell you that if you had a colt like Jesus rode on, you would have been considered royalty? This was not a Chevette. It was a Cadillac. And they bring it to Jesus. And he says to them, if anyone asks you, why are you doing this? You'll say the Lord has need of it. When you were a kid, did you have code words? We had code words. You know, we had our little playhouse. You want to get in, you had to know the code word. Jesus said, if they ask you what you're doing with it, tell them the Lord has need of it. Now, it wasn't just that you know everybody fell down because, oh, the Lord has need of it. Jesus had arranged this. Who you go to, they're going to know. Yeah, it's okay. So they went, and they found it just as he had told them. And as they're untying that colt, the owner said, why are you doing this? And they said, the Lord has need of it. There's the code. And they brought it to Jesus. And at the Mount of Olives, having traveled up and up and up, they now place Jesus onto a donkey. And as he rode along, they spread their coats in the road. And can I tell you something? You would never do this for anyone unless they really were royalty. And as he drew near, on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice. And they praised God for the mighty works they'd seen. Don't you wonder who was in that crowd? Everyone following Jesus had seen a lot. They'd seen Zacchaeus converted. They'd seen Lazarus brought to life. They had seen blind Bartimaeus seeing. They had seen all of these things. And their emotions tell them something big's happening here. <laughs> something is really going to happen. So they pulled out the palm branches. They threw down their coats. They shouted and sang glory in the highest. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven. And glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd had some emotions going on as well. Teacher, rebuke, rebuke your disciples. Jesus, you need to tell them to stop it. Jesus, they're making us angry. They need to quit what they're doing. Jesus says, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Did you ever go shopping? Y'all live in Stark County. How many of you have ever shopped at Mark's? You know what I love about Mark's? You can go into Mark's, and between the hot dogs and the lettuce, you might find a trailer hitch. You just never know what they're going to have in that one part of their store. You know what I mean? 
I go in there and find all kinds of stuff. And I'm in there one day recently. I've gotten hooked on these lights. They're called deformable lights. Anybody here familiar with them? They are LEDs. They throw off a ton of light, use very little energy, and you can put them in your garage, in your basement, and all this stuff, you know. And, and I found some before Christmas. I put them in the garage, lit the place up, got some more for down in the basement, lit the place up. And I'm walking through Mark's the other day, and they have these deformable lights. But, as you know, Mark's always has something unique about their stuff. This one was a Bluetooth speaker with a remote control that you can control the color of the lights. You can play music and the lights will change along with the music. I put that baby in a lamp at home, you know, a floor lamp. I lit that thing up white and my wife came home and I turned on the music and it's playing the music and the color is going red, green, blue. I thought she is really going to like that. She kind of looked at me like I was out of my mind and kept on going. Kind of like some of you are looking at me right now. And it's the way that some people would have looked at Jesus saying, if these people are silent, the rocks and stones will cry out. Right? I mean, rocks and stones crying out, come on. And yet I'll bet you've heard this before. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Or how about this? Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those that dwell in the earth. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. Or how about the mountains and the hills will break forth before him in singing. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. You've done it. You've said things like that. Let heaven and nature sing. Huh? You've done that. And on this day, in this crowd, they are praising Jesus. But remember what we said about emotions. Nobody's emotions are the same. The Pharisees and the religious leaders are jeering at him. Jesus, tell that gang to be quiet. I'm not sure that Jesus had mixed emotions. I think the Pharisees did. They're angry. They're upset. They're anticipating he's going to slip up and they're going to get to put him under. The crowd is really whipped up. We are happy our Messiah's arrived. We anticipate that when he gets down here, he is going to set Pilate and everybody else straight and Rome will not have their way. But there's something we didn't read this morning and I want to read it to you right now. Because just as he gets through the Mount of Olives, he stops. It says, when he drew near and he saw the city, this is the 41st verse, he wept over it. And he said, would that you, even you had known that on this day, the things that will make for peace. I have to stop. I, I should keep reading, but I have to stop. Do you know how Luke starts his gospel? Luke starts by telling us that Jesus is going to bring peace. Remember the angels, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. All through it, it's peace. Just a moment ago, as they sang this crowd, they said that the Messiah would bring peace. And here gets Jesus sitting on this donkey. When he sees the city of Jerusalem, where everybody anticipates emotionally that something's going to happen, Jesus weeps. And he says about that city, if you had just known the things that would have made for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. 
The day will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They'll tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. They will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Church, if you look at this real close, everybody that should have known didn't know. And everybody that wasn't supposed to know actually was acting like they did. And Jesus is talking to the ones that should have and saying to them, you are going to be judged. And it happens. Jerusalem does get destroyed. But you're going to be destroyed because you didn't see the very thing you had your eyes wide open looking for. But even the crowd and the ones that you and I think didn't see once he gets down into that city and we get that week I talked about under our belt, their crowds will, the crowd's shouts will no longer be blessed as he who comes in the name of the Lord. No, the, the crowd's shouts will become crucify him, crucify him. The religious leaders want to kill him, but they don't want to tick off Rome and they don't want to alienate this crowd. The crowd who's shouting, Hosanna, is soon going to shout, kill him. But what about that guy on that donkey? What is going through his mind? I'm not sure. He's weeping there for a minute over Jerusalem, so he must be sad. But momentarily, we're going to read that he walks into the temple and he turns over the tables and he seems to be, at least we've attributed to him, the emotion of anger. What did Jesus get when he mixed sadness with anger? I'm going to take a shot in the dark and tell you what I think. I think it's real loneliness. I think it's abandonment. I think it's actually what the Bible would call forsaken. And that brings me to my bottom line. And the bottom line is this. The loneliest place you'll ever be, God will be there with you. You say, Joe, how did you get that out of that text? Church, as Jesus rode down that hill, up that hill rather, up to Jerusalem, as he, he came out of Jericho and started that trek up, he knew exactly what he was going there to do. He knew precisely what was going to happen there. He wasn't anticipating something. He was simply going to fulfill something. He was not angry about what was going to happen. In fact, if you look at his words on the cross, he asks for forgiveness for the very people that did it to him. How could it be that Jesus is going to walk up that hill and die on that cross and never have an emotion of hatred, of anger, of whatever in the course of that trip? And it's because there's an underlying theme, church. It's love. There's an underlying theme. It's God's love. What took Jesus from Jericho down here to Jerusalem up there was love. What took Jesus from heaven up there to earth right here was love. What is one constant in Jesus that you can always count on, and that is his love. And that is the reason I say to you today that the loneliest place you'll ever be God will still be there with you. Some of you in this are listening online in this fellowship hall, this worship center, whatever, this church this morning. 
have experienced real loneliness. Many of you have lost someone that you loved, and you can't get them back. And it may have been a week ago, or it may have been a decade ago, or it may have been decades ago, but you know the loneliness that comes with that. Some of you have lost friends and family, and you feel like you have been left all alone. Some of you have gone through circumstances in your life where you felt abandoned, forsaken, and let go. Some of you have gone to the very place that you can't imagine that you've got a friend in the world. And the reality is it's not true. Because on the day that Jesus Christ went to the cross at Calvary, he carried all that for you. I can say to you, I know how you feel and I'd be lying. But if Jesus says to you, I know how you feel, he knows how you feel because he carried that on the cross. So matter, no matter what it is that you're going through, sadness, happiness, anger, whatever, he's been there and he'll be there and he's with you. When he left, he said, I go away that the Holy Spirit will come the promised one, the comforter, to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. I want you to think about that word comfort, the comforter. There's an old song. I don't know if you ever sang it or not. I keep asking, you notice that lately? Have you ever sung the song? Have you ever sang the comforter has come? The comforter has come. You know that song? The comforter has come. The comforter has come. The Holy Ghost of heaven. It's a beautiful song. talks about what Jesus promised in John 14. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. But friends, as Jesus hung on the cross that day, that's the key you got to see. He was forsaken. He was abandoned. He was lonely. And the whole time that he traveled up to Jerusalem, he knew that's what was going to happen. You remember what he said? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Theologians have said that at that moment, God turned his back on his son. Can I tell you something, church? No matter how lonely you ever think you are, it's not true because God will be there with you. And that's what I want to share with you this morning as you head into Holy Week. I get really, really off kilter for this week. Don't ask me why. I get off kilter because I'm not sure if I'm supposed to be happy today or sad. And then you get into the rest of this week, and we're going to talk about serving a little bit, and we're going to talk about the death on the cross, and then Sunday morning Easter's going to come. But even Easter itself for me is a challenge because you only have a risen Savior if you first have a dead one, and you only have a dead Savior if you first have a sinner like me. You know, sin separates. Did you know that? You may be going through life and you may think, well, I'm not alone. I've got my kids, my grandkids, my spouse. I've got everything's happening for me. It's good. But the one thing you need more than anything is a relationship with Jesus. Sin separates you from that. Sin keeps you from his presence. I got up this morning and poured myself a cup of coffee in a fresh, clean cup. And it was good. I don't want to drink out of dirty cups 
and it's the perfect illustration of sin's effect on our life. You're a vessel for God, and sin dirties the cup. And God cannot commune where there's sin. It separates us from Him. But He makes the trek. He makes the trip. He makes the journey. He comes to where you are so that you will never have to be where he was on the cross. That is the good news of the gospel. That when it seemed that I was alone, when it seemed that I was left forsaken, when it seemed like I was abandoned because of my sin, there was one who came and pulled me out. And that's Jesus Christ. But the first thing you got to do to get pulled out is to reach up and take his hand. In Stephen Ministries, we teach a concept, and it is that all of us are stuck in a hole. You ever felt like you were stuck in a hole? Something in life has got you, and you're stuck in a hole? You ever felt that way? Oh, come on now. Everybody's been stuck in a hole at some point. How about a ditch? We'll put you in a ditch. And you can't get out of the ditch, and the one that helps you because Stephen ministry is all about helping people. The one person that can help you, whoever that Stephen person is, they aren't allowed to get into the ditch. So you're in a ditch and somebody comes to help you, but all they do is stand there and yell. And they say, hey, I've got good news. I know Jesus. And you're down in the ditch saying, it's not doing me any good down here. They say, let me give you Jesus. And it's the equivalent of taking a rope and throwing it into the hole, saying, here. Here's someone that knows, and he will pull you out. Church, that's what Jesus did on Palm Sunday when he went up to Jerusalem. He left the lowlands, if you would, and he went to his highest spot on a cross. Why? Because he never wanted you and I to know the abandonment that he felt. Amen.
Church, would you repeat with me? The loneliest place you'll ever be, God will be there with you.